Luke chapter 15. This is what men call a parable because the Bible calls it a parable. Then he spoke this parable to them. Now, what is a parable? It's a storytelling device used by our Lord here to illustrate truth to the people to whom he spoke and any others who hear these words. Now, what parables quite often do is that they use metaphors. A metaphor is a word that signifies a thing, uh, but the meaning of it in the context is actually another thing. For instance, when Jesus said, I am the door, uh, our friend John Gershner would say, that doesn't mean he has a handle on the side of his ribs. There's no hinges. You know, he doesn't swing back and forth. It is a metaphor. I am the entrance way. You've got to come through me. I am the, the, the good shepherd. Well, is he the good shepherd? Well, yes and no. I mean, he's not a literal shepherd who has phys- literal sheep, you know, whatever, however they do that. It's a metaphor again. So this is full of metaphors. He throws out this story and he's teaching, I think, deep and rich theological truths uh, through the metaphor. So it's a figure of speech in which a term or phrase is applied to something to which it is not literally applicable in order to suggest some sort of resemblance between the thing he's trying to get at and the story that he's using to get at it. Um, For instance, here's a common metaphor. A mighty fortress is our God. So is God a fortified building or a fortified place, you know, with, with brick walls around him? No, it's a figure of speech for the power, for the strength of God. A mighty fortress is our God. He is not a physical place, but he is omnipotent, isn't he? I am the good shepherd. Again, Jesus didn't tend literal sheep. Or in the text we just read, what man among you, if he has a hundred sheep? I'm going to suggest this is a story that's trying to teach, that has a lot of, by the way, practical punch, both oomph, I meant by that, not drinking punch, uh, for both its original audience and ourselves. The man or shepherd and the sheep are metaphors. They represent something other than a first century shepherd and literal sheep, though he uses a first century shepherd and literal sheep through which he's going to try to teach them something. Now, it probably would have been easier if we lived in the first century, because as soon as he mentions a man, a shepherd, and sheep, uh, and an inheritance and all that stuff, things would have clicked quicker. So we have to do a little work. I think the best way to understand this is get a little into the culture. I won't get you that far into the culture. But as we work our way through Luke 15, you'll, say, you'll see that if you understand the Old Testament, it really helps with Luke chapter 15, and I hope to show you that. 
in the weeks following. Now, you've probably heard preachers preach parables, and one of the things uh, that's happened in the last 200 years is the preacher will get up and say, parables have one point and one point only. That theory's about 200 years old, and it came from a, if you're German, sorry, came from a liberal German, and then the conservatives started saying the same thing. If you read uh, like Augustine on parables way back in the fifth century, or if you read um, somebody from the 17th century, they don't say things like that. Now, they might say things about parables that you disagree with, and that are frankly wild at times, but nobody until 200 years ago thought, if you read Luke 15, just find one key point. There's a lot of points in Luke uh, chapter 15, and there are a lot of ver- and, and various uh, points in other parables as well. Some people have said you can't explain parables point by point as if all these things signify several different things. Go read Matthew chapter 13. Jesus did that himself. He explained parables point by point. Now, the parable of Jesus is not a logical argument that proceeds systematically to a single conclusion. That's a quote from somebody else. So instead of trying to narrow our focus on one specific thing, which, by the way, you can almost do that with this chapter, and I'll tell you how how and why later, uh, we need to broaden our lenses and, and, and be open to receiving various, the various things that this passage has for us. And because of uh, this view that a lot of people have had over the years, the last 200 years, um, another thing came of it. The parables are all deeply entrenched in the culture of the first century. So you might have heard sermons about parables and somebody's telling you all about you know, the average size of a shepherd's flock and what time in the morning he would get up and what time in the evening he would, things that aren't in the Bible and aren't necessary to understand the parables themselves. All this fascinating stuff, there has been an, an emphasis on the cultural background So much so that you lose the text for the background. And you know this background, the size of flocks, the time of the morning they got up, the time in the evening they went to bed, and all that stuff. Um, Sometimes an archaeological dig finds something that proves that background was not right. They didn't get up at 5 a.m. They got up at 4.30 Yeah, like big deal. But the preacher preaches it like you can't understand this text unless you realize they got up at 5 a.m. And I'm going, the background that's most important to understand Luke 15 and all the other parables is the written word of God. That's a profound but simple statement that I think people... Well, I got some amen, so I think you agree with me. Luke 15, then, is a parable. It utilizes a series or a string of metaphors, the meaning of which either would have been known or could have been known by the original audience, at least to a degree. Jesus uses persons and actions 
a man, a woman, and then a father, right? Man, woman, and father. There are three parts, by the way, to Luke 15. Uh, By the way, did you notice that? Then he spoke this parable singular to them. He didn't say, then he spoke these three parables, one about a man, a shepherd, one about a woman who lost a coin, and one about a father. It's kind of interesting, tucked that away. I just rained on my own parade. I'm going to say that later in a different way. But Jesus uses persons and actions from the culture of that day to teach truth. But I think he is assuming much more than the culture of that day. I think he is also assuming the entire Old Testament and using it in his argument. I don't think we're going to get to that this week, but probably next week. Hopefully you'll see that. For the original audience, a trigger of meaning would have gone off in their minds when he spoke in parables for at least two reasons. One was cultural, as I mentioned. The other was very theological. So remember again, who's he speaking this parable to? To them. Who's the them? It's probably primarily to the Pharisees and scribes. Who were Pharisees and scribes? In one sense, do we have Pharisees and scribes today? I would say, well, yeah, but back then they were the religious leaders and teachers, okay? Uh, We'll talk about them a little later. But if they're the primary recipients of this, the punch of the parable, and they are indoctrinated by the Old Testament and think that they're righteous by virtue of their obedience to it, that's what they thought, then you would think Jesus is assuming the knowledge they have and using a metaphorical a metaphors as a device to trigger meaning in their hearing and understanding. Now, it takes a little more work for us to get there, but I hope to get there. So the first three verses is what we'll look at today. This is Luke's introduction to the entire section. Here's what he says in Luke 15, 1 through 3. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained. Uh, Some of the versions have uh, groaned. Yeah. Mumbled. Grumbled. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So he spoke this parable to them, saying, so let's look at verse 1. In verse 1, Luke tells us that all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming to listen to Jesus teach. Now, all is certainly hyperbole for many, right? Every single sinner that lived on the face of the earth came to hear Jesus teach all the tax collectors, excuse me, all the tax collectors and all the sinners, all of them, every single one, no, hyperbole, allow the Bible to use hyperbole. We do it um, when we say, anyway, we do it. Uh, If you have lunch with us, you, all of you are surely to enjoy it. 
Okay, but what if there's menudo there? I'm not going to enjoy that. I don't know if there is. I don't think there is. But, and I don't care how clean Jess makes his menudo. All are sure to enjoy it. Well, it's, we mean all who actually enjoy it will enjoy it, right? So all here means some. Now, what are these tax collectors? Um, we're, we live in the 21st century. We try to sometimes explain things from the first century through the lens of the 21st century. So I could say this, that the tax collectors are not the equivalent of people who work for the IRS today, as much as you might want to make that relationship. They're not the equivalent of people who work for the IRS today. They're actually worse. Okay, Tax collectors back then were Jewish men who were cooperating with the oppressive and hated Roman conquerors. So Roman conquered uh, ancient Israel, and Rome hires Jews to go collect taxes on behalf of, the, of, of Rome from Jews. They're taking them from Jews. And then, you know, some of you know, most of you probably know, they, they upped the ante and actually were thieves, the tax Collectors are what we call collaborators, people who cooperate with the enemy who has occupied one's country. So they were traitors and not well-liked at all. So when Jesus saw that these tax collectors came around him, he told him to get behind me, get out of my life, leave me. I don't want to be seen, but he didn't say that, right? Or how about the sinners, which we'll get to in a second. So I suppose if North Korea ended up conquering uh, the United States and began exacting taxes from us, uh, a neighbor down your street who collected those taxes on behalf of the North Korean uh, and up the ante took more than he should have from you would be similar to an ancient tax collector. But it's hard, it's impossible for us to go, yeah, I know exactly what a tax collector, I know what it, it's like, well, no, we don't. We don't have those in our culture. But they had them back then. They weren't well-liked by anybody, but it's interesting. They hung around Jesus. Matter of fact, weren't some of his disciples, at least one of them, a tax collector? And then we have these sinners, tax collectors and sinners. Um, it's not that the tax collectors weren't sinners, okay? So it could be, and I, I'm pretty sure I lean this direction, that it probably refers to Jews who were called uh, the people of the land. They are people who don't re didn't really take their Judaism real seriously. They didn't worry themselves very much with Jewish religious law. There were some like that. They were either ignorant of the law or simply failed to observe it in any meaningful way. They were despised by Pharisees and scribes who were both teachers and those who thought they were doers of the law. So these sinners are probably uh, people who the scribes and Pharisees and scribes are going to go, he's with them? This man... Remember how they point him out? Does this, that, and the other. So these two groups drew near to hear him. To hear him what? To hear him teach. Jesus himself uh, was a rabbi. A rabbi means a, 
uh, a teacher. It's a, it was an earned title. It took you years to earn that title. It was a title of respect. When somebody called somebody in the Jewish religious culture, rabbi, they had earned that title over years of study and public discourse. So he was a rabbi. He was a teacher. Uh, he was known. He was called rabbi by a friend and foe, if you read the Gospels, many, many times. He was an expert in the law of the Old Testament. So we have tax collectors. We have these sinners that are coming to hear him. Verse 2. In verse 2, the plot thickens where Luke informs us, and the Pharisees and the scribes complained, or I think the New American Standard says, began to snivel, or began to whine, or actually began to grumble. I think that's what it says. Grumble, complain. Okay, they have a problem with what's going on. The Pharisees were men who belonged to a specific group of religious scholars. They were well-known in the culture. They were devoted to studying and applying the law of Moses, what we call the Old Testament. Uh, They were very strict in their attempts to adhere to the rituals and ceremonies of the Old Testament, and they were proud of it in the wrong kind of way. They also added laws to the law of God, so they heaped burdens upon people that God had not. They viewed themselves as doers of the law and therefore righteous. They thought they were okay because of their devotion, because of their doing the right things. They thought God had approved them. So their theory of salvation is do what's right and God will accept you. Scribes were men devoted, by the way, uh, that's not our view. Do what's right and God will accept you. Because we can't, haven't done it in the past. We're not going to do what's right in the future. And we certainly can't do it in the present. We've done wrong. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We need a divine solution to our problem. And Jesus is the solution. We'll get there. So they were proud of their religiosity. They looked down their noses at others. They had more knowledge. They had more practice. They had more public esteem. They were, uh, uh, King James Version, 1 Corinthians 8.1, knowledge puffeth up. Okay, they were puffy. And it was a stench. Both groups, Pharisees and scribes, were known to despise tax collectors and sinners because they were unclean or defiled. Okay, so these are rabbis as well. Pharisees are rabbis. Scribes are rabbis. Jesus is a rabbi. Jesus is eating with tax collectors and sinners, with defiled people. He's defiling himself as a rabbi and the office that we share with him. So both these groups, Pharisees and scribes, viewed themselves as right related to God due to their obedience to his law. 
Note well that they were complaining or grumbling, saying, here's what they said, this man receives sinners and eats with them. This is an accusation. Whatever he's doing, it's wrong, and everybody knows it. This man receives sinners and eats with them. What if Jesus didn't receive sinners and eat with them when he was on the earth? Oh, yeah, we'd be in big trouble. It seems like this is not said directly to Jesus, right? If they said it directly to Jesus, it would be in the, it would be a question. Hey, Jesus, why do you receive sinners and eat, eat with them? They don't put a question mark at the end of their sentence, right? It's not in the interrogative. It's in the indicative, in the matter of fact. And it seems very clear to me, the more you think about it, that he, they're not saying it directly to him. They're saying it about him. They're saying this man receives sinners and eats with them, directing it toward other people. They made a statement of fact, most likely... There were some non-Pharisees and non-scribes present. Obviously, there's tax collectors and sinners. But turn over to Luke chapter 16, verse 1. I think there's somebody else here that's hearing this. Luke chapter 16, verse 1. He also said to his disciples, Did you get it? When Luke 15 ends, Luke says, he also said to his disciples. So he, whatever Jesus said in Luke 15, he was saying probably in the presence of his disciples, but it wasn't directed exclusively at the disciples. He was saying whatever he said, if you have a red letter, all the red letters in chapter 15 were spoken or directed not to the disciples in exclusion from other people, but specifically to them, I think the Pharisees and scribes. And then once he had finished addressing them, he also said to his disciples. So when they say, this man receives sinners and eats with them, they're not saying it to Jesus. It's not in the form of a question. It's a statement of fact, and it is true, he does do that, and he's trying to diminish the esteem that both the tax collectors and the sinners, and I think, and his disciples had for him. Look at this guy, he's a rabbi. Look what he does. We don't do that. I remember hearing a lecture one time on parenting and the, the man that was lecturing, the guru, said, we tell our kids, we are, we'll just say Barcellus's, we are Barcellus's, we don't do that. And I thought, eh, the bar's, that, that bar is too low. If you said, we don't do that because God's word forbids it, that, that, that would be good. We don't do that. We're not like him. He's a rabbi. We're a rabbi. We're rabbis. He's done his study. We've done our study. He has public esteem. We have public esteem, but he's losing it now because we don't mingle with those kinds of people. Um, he himself is unclean. 
because he mingles with the unclean. It's wrong to mingle with the unclean. Therefore, since California is so politically unclean, we can't mingle with it. We got to move. By the way, if somebody moves for other reasons, that, that's fine. That's a bad reason, though, because you know what? Wherever you go, there's uncleanness in this world. So for a rabbi to receive sinners and eat with them was unheard of at that time. Table fellowship, eating with them, was a sign of intimacy, friendship, and acceptance, at least on some level. So Jesus was offensive to the Pharisees and scribes. By the way, it doesn't say these tax collectors and these sinners are all hell-bound the worst possible expression of sinfulness that lived in the first century either. Some of them could have been believers. We don't know. But we know this. They were grumbling about Jesus in his presence, but aiming the grumble at other people to try to discredit our Lord in their estimation. Verse 3, Luke tells us how Jesus responded So he spoke this parable to them, saying. Now notice the words, to them. He spoke this parable to them. It refers back to the complainers, the grumblers, the Pharisees, and scribes. This parable is aimed at the religious teachers who were in the hearing of our Lord. He's aiming it not at the tax collectors and the sinners and the disciples that might have been there, but he's aiming it primarily at these religious leaders. What Jesus says is aimed at them, at least initially. There's stuff for us to learn as well. And I think this will become evident as we work our way through the passage. That to them refers primarily to the Pharisees and scribes, gains credibility when we note Luke 16.1 again. Remember what it says there? He also said to his disciples. Okay, so the red letters of chapter 15, he's saying to them, the Pharisees and scribes, and then the red letters of chapter 16, he's aiming at his disciples. So after addressing the Pharisees and scribes in Luke 15, Jesus addresses his disciples in Luke 16. Therefore, what Jesus says in Luke 15 is aimed at least initially and primarily at the Pharisees and scribes, though I think his disciples were there and had much to learn by what our Lord said, and so do we. Note as well in this verse, this. Then he spoke this parable to them. I already mentioned that. I'm going to make a big deal of it. It's actually in the Bible, the word this there, at least in our translation. Then he spoke this parable. Luke does not say he told them these parables, right? But this parable, notice 15.4, what man of or among you, I accentuated that when I read it the first time, Notice Luke 15, 8. 
or what woman? And then 1511. Then he said, a certain man had two sons. It seems like three parables, right? But he says he spoke this parable to them. Now, somebody could say, well, it is three parables. He spoke the first one to the Pharisees and scribes and the second and third one to somebody else. You can say that if you want. I think that's a stretch. The three stories tell one parable in three parts, all aimed at exposing something about the Pharisees and scribes, but even more so about Jesus, as I hope we will see. Now, this is the dilemma the preacher is in. I, I just solved it. I'm going to stop and contemplate, and then we will uh, take our break. And what can we learn just from the first three verses so far? We learn here something about Pharisees and scribes. First of all, they're stuffed with self-importance, aren't they? They think they're the big dogs. They're, they are the elite among all these peasants, tax collectors, sinners, disciples. They had stuffed themselves with self-importance. And of course, it took generations for this to rise to the level it was at when Jesus came. These were the shepherds of Israel. You ever heard of anything like that, shepherds of Israel? If you've read the Old Testament, you know that there's scathing rebukes about these shepherds of Israel who didn't feed the sheep, that were self-centered, that postured themselves in such a perched manner that they didn't mingle with others. They were stuffed with self-importance. Also, we learn about these Pharisees and scribes they exhibit the pride that often comes with public positions. Doesn't always come, but the temptation's always there, right? Somebody gets notary, notar somebody gets well known, uh, and they kind of lose their touch with their roots and reality. These. Pharisees and scribes exhibit the pride that often comes with public positions. Now, does Luke 15 say what I just said? Yes, but in different words. Because when you read it, you can say, you can say okay, these guys are dripping with self-absorption. Self they are the epitome of egotistical maniacs. They are, they are the narcissists of the first century. Me, myself, and I am important, and you need to recognize it. And if you don't, I'm going to make your life miserable kind of thing. This is, this is horrible. Not only horrible just for generic uh, public positions or public recognitions, but this is a religious one, 
They have religious prestige in the culture. They are those who think they are okay with God based on their public office actions and the esteem that they get or think they ought to get from others, and yet it's, it's a stench in the nostrils of heaven and should be in ours as well. I am a rabbi. Recognize me. I'm great. Get behind me. And they, they push themselves on unsuspecting people. These religious charlatans, you know, that's what they were. Um, you brood of vipers. I didn't call them that. You know, Jesus called these guys brood of vipers. You snakes, you guys are snakes. Well, they weren't even snakes in the grass. They were snakes, but they weren't in the grass. You know, that's a, it's a saying. If you're older, you probably know what it is. When you say somebody's a snake in the grass, they're a slithery, slimy creature that goes around and is going to nibble at your ankle and poison you if you don't watch it. You know, you, you can't see them. They're, they're not snakes in the grass, but they're snakes. They're brood, a brood of vipers. And they led people away from the truth of, of, of the gospel, of the good news. Their good news was, we have done what it takes to get to glory. We have obeyed in such a way that God is, is required to, to endow us with eternal life. We have done what we ought to have done in order to gain what none of you have. Jesus came on the scene to say, no. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. Oh, by the way, who do you think the man is in Luke 15? In Luke 15, 4. Jesus, who do you think the woman is? Be careful. I'm going to preach it. Jesus, who's the father in, in the parable? It's a metaphor for Billy Graham. Jesus. So in one sense, Luke 15 is all about, and all the Sunday school second graders said, Jesus. But these guys were all about themselves. By the way, have you ever thought of that? How, how could, Jesus seems to be all about himself. Calls him, you know, he takes the titles, Christ, Lord, Messiah, Savior. Doesn't, you know, he takes all these prestigious titles. He, isn't he like a Pharisee and a, and a and a, and, a, and a scribe, all puffed up with self-importance. I'm sure people say that. But if you think about it, is it righteous, is it according to the law of God, for Jesus to receive those titles of respect and authority from creatures? Is it righteous of him to do that? Most certainly. No, if he was a sinner, it would be wrong. 
But he's not. So he's, he's not like these rabbis. So um, these guys are full of themselves. They, they stink to high heaven. And unfortunately, I wish I could say, within the religious circles in the United States, there are none, nobody, there's nobody like that anymore. There, there is, right? Don't do it, but if you want to, don't, don't do it. But if you did, you probably have in the past. You've watched the TV preachers, you know, those guys with the jets and the houses and the cars and all the things. I remember when I was in Alaska, Africa one time, they were telling me about the influence of, he said, your Christianity, that he meant from the United States, and it was through the Trinity Broadcasting Network, which is 99% of its heresy. By the way, R.C. Sproul was on that show a long time ago. It's very interesting, twice at least. And uh, they said, yeah, your brand of, of, of Christianity is, is messing up our country. I said, what do you mean my brand? He said, they said, TBN. I said, why? They said, there are two 24-7 radio, uh, TV stations in our country, the government-run one and TBN. So if people have a TV, they got two options as far as 24-7 goes. And they got these TV preachers in there preaching health, wealth, and prosperity. And he says, it's never going to work in our country except for one person. I said, who's that? They said, the preacher. So you have these preachers that have all kinds of stuff. And he's preaching, if you just believe, you can have all kinds of stuff. But nobody else has all kinds of stuff. Because there's not the stuff there. Unless they have the bucks he gets for telling them, believe God and you get stuff. He's the only one getting the stuff. It's, it's terrible, I'm off the notes. It's just grieving to think about how many people have been deceived into thinking, you want your best life now? Look at my teeth. Don't you want to punch that guy? I want to punch that guy. He's got perfect teeth. Who paid for those teeth? You know, give me some money so I can stick a tooth back in my no tooth there. Your best life now, it's like, really? It was a best-selling book, your best life now. It's like, okay, read the persecution the Christians underwent, not only in the New Testament, but also subsequent to that time, and your best life now and say, uh, it doesn't work, right? There are... The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. You ever heard that before? There are martyrs, people who have been killed because of their, their connection and com commitment to Christ. So all these, I think, false teachers are exposed in Luke 15. The scribes, the Pharisees and scribes are them. But also, we learn something here, not just about Pharisees and scribes, but we learn something about our Lord. He drew to himself polar opposites. Pharisees, scribes, tax collectors, sinners, and then believers, disciples. He drew to himself polar opposites, but not for the same reasons. You, excuse me, you think the Pharisees and scribes were there for the same reasons that tax collectors and sinners and disciples were there? No. But he drew all those kind of people to himself. It's interesting, isn't it? But for all kinds of different reasons. 
which is very interesting as well, because sometimes people say, uh, your interpretation of a text has to take into account what the original audience would have believed by it. It's like, wait a minute. So I got to get in the brain of a Pharisee and a scribe, and that helps me understand what Jesus actually meant? No thanks. They killed the Lord. They crucified the Lord of glory. Okay? What Jesus says does not depend on what we think they thought he might have said. So all these various motives for coming around Jesus are exemplified in the various groups of people that are there. Tax collectors, sinners, Pharisees, scribes. I wonder if tax collectors and sinners actually means it's the disciples. But it says there's a lot of them, so it's probably more than just the disciples. But we learn that our Lord drew all kinds of different people around him. But also notice this. We learn this because he never denies this. We learn that our Lord received sinners and ate with them. I think the first time I read this, somebody said, amen. This man received sinners and eats with them. They're saying that as an accusation that something is wrong with Jesus doing that. What did Jesus come to this earth for? The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So what are the Pharisees really not getting at all? The purpose of the incarnation. The fact that he received sinners and ate with them is not a violation of the law. It's actually a glimpse into the gospel. He took on our flesh and walked and lived God the Son did, walked and lived among us, and while he did that, he exemplified love for people who were unlovely in themselves. He lived on their behalf, he died on their behalf, he rose on their behalf, he ascended on their behalf, he reigns and rules now on their behalf, and he'll come on their behalf in the future. If he didn't come and do that, get close to sinners, get dirty with us without sin, we have no hope. If he didn't receive sinners, if he didn't eat with them, if he didn't, if he didn't provide, uh, uh, if he, well, if he didn't do that, we're in trouble. So I hope as we work our way through this, you'll see more and more and more the Pharisees and the scribes over here and not you, not me, not the disciples, not the tax collectors, not the sinners, but Jesus on the other side. And the more you know the Old Testament, the more you realize how scathing of a rebuke this is to those self-centered, egotistical maniacs that he called brood of vipers. So with that, I'm going to pray.
Lord, we thank you for your word. You are the savior of sinners. We are not to be, uh, not to think that we can, we have no need of, of repentance because we are righteous. None of, there's none righteous, no, not one, at least among men who have been naturally generated from a, fa- a human father and mother. But our Lord Jesus was among us. He was righteous. He is the shepherd of the sheep. He does go forth and gather his sheep. He does grant the grace of repentance and the grace of faith so that we might come to him. We thank you that we have Luke 15 to help us understand his work, his person and his work and to, to, to guard us from being like Pharisees, like scribes, thinking we don't need repentance because we are the righteous bear, uh, standard bearers among all on the earth. Smash our pride and help us to prize our Lord Jesus more. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.